Hey guys, welcome back to the Teen Life Podcast, where we equip, encourage, and empower the helpers of teenagers. This is Chris Roby, and I'm here with Carly Duke and Beth Nichols. Hey guys. Hey. Hey, how are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, so we are in episode three of uh, our, I guess, review of of the uh, second uh, second season of 13 Reasons Why. Uh, just a little bit of a context to remind you, if you haven't listened to the previous two episodes, uh, I'm the guy who has not watched the show. <laughs> uh, we, we just decided that um, me catching up on 26 episodes wasn't going to happen. Um, but also have a lot of interest in, in the topics that this show brings up and how it relates to teenagers, which is the work that we do with Teen Life is help people... Uh, part of what we do is help people work with teenagers better. Uh, a couple things as we get into this. Carly, you want to give us a spoiler alert, content alert? Uh, sure. So we just want to continue to give this at the beginning um, of every one of these episodes because it's important. Um, if you have not watched the show, we are going to be spoiling season one and season two. Mm-hmm. So if you want to watch it, um, maybe come back after you've watched it. Um, and then we also want to give a content alert. Um, obviously, we are going to um, be respectful, but we also, especially today, are talking about sexual assault. And so some of the things that we're talking about are really hard topics and maybe not suitable for little ears. Um or maybe even teenagers, depending on their experiences as well. So um, we just want to give you that alert before we keep going today. So like Carly said, we are uh, talking about the, the topic of sexual assault. Uh, this is obviously a, a topic that's uh, big in our country right now with, with the Me Too movement and uh, a lot of the news stories that we see. And I think it's uh, a really helpful subject, especially when we're talking about working with teenagers, the, the, the teens that we love, how can we best uh, teach and model uh, uh, healthy sexuality and what does it look like? Um, we're going to talk about consent today and talk about a lot of those different things. We're going to do so in the context of season two of 13 Reasons Why. Uh, so Carly and Beth have done the, the job of watching all this and, and have great feedback. So I'm going to, I'm going to sit back and ask the questions and, uh, and find out more about this. So, uh, our first, uh, kind of topic, uh, scenario in the show is, uh, Bryce and the clubhouse. So y'all, y'all fill us in a little bit about, about Bryce and the clubhouse. What was the clubhouse? Um, okay. Bryce is one of the main characters in the show. Bryce is portrayed as being a wealthy, white, prominent member of the high school. He's one of the lead guys on the football team and on the baseball team, just kind of an all around athlete. Um, and they show a little bit kind of of his family and his dad is very much like, whatever you want, we'll get it for you. You can have it, that kind of mentality. Um, the clubhouse is a place that exists behind the baseball fields. It is originally designed to be like a storage shed. And, but the clubhouse is a place where predominantly in this show, the baseball players come together to smoke, drink, and sexually assault women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you find out through the whole series, um, Clay Jensen, the main character, keeps getting these Polaroids of um, girls who are obviously drunk or under the influence of drugs and who are being um, sexually assaulted in some way. And so he gets several of these throughout the season, and he's trying to figure out the whole time, one, who is sending these to him, two, where are these because um, they're girls that he knows. Um, and it comes out even that Hannah 
is in one of these pictures, one of these Polaroids. And so he's trying to figure out what is this. And he finds out it's the clubhouse. Um, and there are so many things that can be said about the clubhouse of just, it's this boys club where they come together and they cover for each other. Mm -hmm. And it's not just baseball players. The student body president is a part of it. Um, and they're all trying to hide it and cover it up. And then you also find out that the baseball coach knows about it as well. Mm -hmm. And he's the one that gave them keys to get in. Um, and so there's this whole dynamic of that guys can get away with, with whatever they want in the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. What's said in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse. Um, and the Polaroids are a method of enforcing that. So if I have a picture of you sexually assaulting another person or drinking or using drugs in the clubhouse and it's a Polaroid, then you're less likely to turn me in for what I'm doing in the clubhouse because you're going to have to okay. go down with me. Huh. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Exactly. And so what happens is it's actually one of the baseball players is the one who's telling him. And that's his way of anonymously speaking out and saying, we're not going to do this. Um, I'm not going to be part of this anymore. And so he kind of shed some light on it. Um, and that's what's so interesting in the Beyond the Reasons. So this, um, if you've listened, it's the kind of behind the scenes look. And as they talk about sexual assault and especially about consent and Bryce in the clubhouse, they talk about that we need to teach guys how to say even a simple phrase like we're not going to do that. Mm. If there is a culture of sexual abuse or even a culture of you aren't man or you're not part of this if you're not having sex with girls or if you're not hooking up with lots of girls that we need to teach our guys to step up and say, hey, we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I love that wording because it's not pointing the finger and saying you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't um, be doing that or I'm going to tell on you, but it's putting it in the context of we and we're going to hold each other to a higher standard. Yeah, it's, it, it speaks into the, the team of right. you know, the, we're, we're doing all these other things together, but we're also we don't do that. Right. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that, that is interesting when you're talking about the clubhouse is it really is about power. It's about who has the power and who has the control in the situation. Mm -hmm. And in the clubhouse, it's really the guys that are in the clubhouse that are coming in and out of the clubhouse that have the power and control. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a little bit when we talk more in detail about some of the sexual assaults that have happened in the series. But they say in the Beyond the Reasons that sexual assaults are really a crime of power. They're not so much about the act of sex itself. It's really about the power hmm. involved. And that plays out really blatantly within the context of the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. And the clubhouse is really that, that metaphor for rape culture. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it exists in every high school, every college, and anywhere that there is a power dynamic right right and kind of the figurehead of this is Bryce and so um, especially we've talked about him a little in previous episodes because Bryce is the one who rapes Jessica and we'll get into that in a little bit but just as far as where Bryce is Bryce is the ultimate like well he's a boy and boys do what boys do yeah um, boys that, will be boys yeah exactly mm -hmm. just that mentality and he feels like he can get away with whatever he wants he doesn't really seem to show any sort of regret um, even when he gets caught he doesn't seem um, to say sorry or care. And you see it especially um, not just in who he rapes, but in his girlfriend, Chloe. And he has this girlfriend who's a popular cheerleader, and she's all over him, and she they love each other, and they have this great relationship. And then several times you see um, different interactions where he's just pushing it a little too much. Uh, there's an episode where I think they're like at his house. At his house. Maybe in like the... Back pool room. Exactly. Pool and house, so um, he's wanting to have sex with her and she just kept 
keeps telling him, no, no, I'm tired. Not tonight. I no. thought we were going to watch a movie. Exactly. And he keeps pushing it to the point where she stops saying no, but she never says yes. And he has sex with her. And you can tell by her body language. You can tell by watching the show. Obviously, she did not consent. She did not say yes. She's not involved in the act that's happening on the TV screen. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so that brings up this really big question, which we know this is a huge question, but what is consent? Right. Right. And we even before we started the podcast, like, how do we <laughs> how do we address <laughs> this? How do we question. answer this? Yeah, but... I, th I think I think what you talked about with that scene with with her saying no 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 no, and then eventually not saying yes is a pretty good indicator that she was not she, not she, she was not consenting to this right right. Um, this especially gets into um, any kind of impairment, whether it's drugs or alcohol involved, where a girl could be taken advantage of because you know she's not fully there mentally, and that's also another. Uh, area of consent as well that guys will take advantage of. Yeah, in the in the show involving Bryce and then his girlfriend Chloe, um, there are Polaroids from the clubhouse that involve Bryce having sex with Chloe in the clubhouse. And at some point in the season, more towards the middle end, someone takes the pictures to Chloe and says, "This is you." Uh, and in the pictures, Chloe is very obviously passed out, and Chloe doesn't have any memory of those things happening and so even though they were dating and they were a couple and they were consensually having sex at some points that doesn't mean that it's still not rape or sexual assault when she is under the influence or drunk yeah, and is unable to consent mm -hmm. right and so you see several um almost foils to bryce too though because bryce um does it even when he's told no? Does it even when it's obvious that that person is not interested? And you see in season one a scene with Clay and Hannah where they're making out, and then it starts to become more. And Clay asks Hannah probably three times, is this okay? Is this what you want? Is what I'm doing okay? And eventually she, she says no, and they stop. But that asking multiple times, not just asking once, mm -hmm. um, but asking multiple times and getting a verbal answer back mm -hmm. is huge. And then you also in season one – um, as we kind of transition into Jessica and what happened with her, um, before Bryce comes in and rapes Jessica, she's drunk and her and her boyfriend go up to her room um, to have sex. And he realizes, oh, she's, she's too drunk. Exactly. She is not able to consent. She's not in the right mind to consent. And so he leaves her there. And so he chooses now there are other things with Justin that aren't right. But in that right. instance, in that he situation. decides, even though she's my girlfriend and even though they probably have had sex before. She is not in the right mind to consent, mm -hmm. but Bryce has no problem then following up and coming in. And so when Justin sex with her. leaves, that's when Bryce comes in and rapes Jessica. Mm -hmm. And so that's a kind of like a contrast between someone who's paying attention and getting consent versus someone who doesn't care. Right. So as we go into this and kind of talking more about Jessica's rape. <clears throat> they introduced a statistic that six out of a thousand sexual assaults actually end with someone being criminally prosecuted. Six out of a thousand. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the backstory involving Jessica, it started in season one where they actually show where she's raped by Bryce. Mm -hmm. um, Hannah is in the closet and comes in upon the sexual assault. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, but Justin also walks in and sees it and closes the door. And so two right. people were aware that she was being sexually assaulted, but did not do anything to stop it. And so, um, 
after that happened, at the very end of season one, you see where Jessica is telling her dad that she was sexually assaulted, but then she tells him she doesn't remember who did it, mm-hmm. which just isn't entirely true. Right. And so that dynamic where the statistic of six out of a thousand are actually prosecuted, that's a classic case of, well, I'm not sure if I really want to talk about who did it. I'm not sure because I was drunk. What does that look like for me? Mm-hmm. Right. And we talked about this um, in episode two in recovery and Jessica's recovery, but you see her go through this journey of telling people she doesn't remember to remembering to then this journey with her friends that she's going to be brave enough to actually step up and name Bryce as her attacker. Mm -hmm. And so she goes to the police station and reports it, but then she also in court with Bryce sitting there with lots of classmates sitting there names him Mm -hmm. as her rapist. And in the beyond the reasons they talk about that, they think that this is the bravest thing that you see in the whole entire season, Mm -hmm. that she was brave enough to actually name her assaulter in that powerful moment when you see her say like, I'm not standing for this anymore. And really what it came down to, she was not going to do that at all. Mm -hmm. But then as she started to see pictures of Chloe and realized he's doing this to other girls Mm -hmm. and they might not have the courage or the chance to stand up and say anything, but that she could. And she also was at the time going to a sexual assault support group and getting Mm -hmm. to know some of the people that were victims there who also did not persecute or prosecute rather their um, perpetrator. And so just having the support and seeing how common it was really took the isolation out of it for Jessica. And I think that that contributes as well to her her willingness to step up in court. Mm -hmm. Well, and to... um, Towards the end, I guess this is the last episode where the judge uh, brings down the sentence on Bryce. And it was how long? Three months? I think three months of basically probation. Yeah. I mean, I think. It's incredible. Yeah. Taking a step back. Part of the reason that Jessica didn't want to come forward is at one point she said that she wasn't a very good victim. Hmm. And I think that that plays out as you watch the sentencing as well. That she attributes, she said, you know, watch what they're doing in court with Hannah, and Hannah's white, and Jessica is not. Mm-hmm. Um, she's multiracial. And so um, she said, I, you know, Hannah wasn't drunk, and she isn't a minority or person of color. And so um, look what they're doing to her. Like, what, do you, what makes you think they won't eat me alive? And so I think that was an interesting kind of caveat to the trial. But then when they come through... The judge basically gives them both a lecture for their behavior that night. Mm-hmm. And he talks about Bryce made a mistake by raping Jessica, but Jessica also made a mistake by being drunk. And so they talked about it a lot and beyond the reasons that that's just not the same thing. Those are not comparable mm-hmm. behaviors. No, there's no, there's no equivalency there. Yeah. And that's what's heartbreaking. Um, I can personally off the top of my head easily think of three people that something similar has happened to them. Mm-hmm. In college even, whether it was high school or college, but where they got probably a little too drunk and maybe didn't say exactly no, but weren't in the right mindset mm-hmm. and then later regretted and realized, no, you could consider that right. But so many girls that I talked to sit back and say, no, it was my fault. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say anything. It was my fault. And that's just not, that's not what we need to be telling our girls. And the actress who plays Jessica and Beyond the Reasons um, talks about that basically guys don't have to worry when they go to a party. They don't worry about that. They don't Mm -hmm. think about that. And for girls, anytime you go out, anytime you're around guys, anytime you take a drink, in the back of their mind might be, 
is something going to happen to me tonight? Mm -hmm. Is something going to go wrong? Am I going to wake up tomorrow and regret something? And that's not the way it should be. Well, it goes back to the the power dynamic that that, that Beth kind of led in with there. Um, You know, you're talking about, you know, I think part of that six out of a thousand is that whole, if I say anything, is is justice going to happen anyways? Mm -hmm. And, you know, with with Bryce getting a slap on the wrist, you know, the, the writers kind of, pull back the curtain and say, we, we wrote that on purpose. We wanted people to get mad about this mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, the, the Brock Turner case out in California where he got six months. Is that correct? Is that right? The, the Brock Turner mm-hmm. case. Um, yeah. He, he was it, caught in the act of sexually raping a person by multiple people who walked up and stopped him. And he, this is the real life example. This is a real life yeah, example yeah. of Brock Turner um, only received a minor sentence um, was not like kicked out of college, and basically the judge said, "You're young, and we want you to be able to go on with your life." Well, obviously the woman involved it was a lot harder for her just to forget about it and go right. on with her life. Right. And so um, in the episode, and when they talk about it beyond the reasons, they said they gave him a three month sentence because they want you to be mad about it. Mm-hmm. But they also said they were looked at what is actually happening in the court system for first time rape and sexual assault perpetrators and especially looking at wealthy white defendants that that is pretty common that they get kind of a slap on the wrist and they said they want people to be aware of that because they want people to start fighting for that in the real world not just watching things on tv right mm-hmm. right and you were you felt this outrage like as i was watching oh, i was so like mad. that's what they do and i knew this is a scripted show and they wrote that purposely and i was mad mm-hmm. um and just they i mean they got what they wanted of it makes you say that is not just that's not right and something needs to be done um and i think talking about it and making sure not just girls are aware of the dangers, but we've got to be talking to our boys about it too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big part of a lot of people want to in turn, similar to the judge, talk to the girls of, well, you don't need to put yourself in that situation and you don't you need, need to be, to be drunk. drunk, which is true. But boys also don't need to put themselves in that situation where they're with a girl who might have had too much to drink. And maybe they have too. And they don't need to put themselves in a situation because that is completely life-altering for them as well. We've talked about in this show, you know, what's realistic, what's not. I feel like this particular subject they did pretty well with. Yeah, I think they were super realistic when it came to a lot of the sexual assaults. I think they did their homework and made it to be pretty accurate. And I saw an article just today I was reading talking about there are a lot of things in season two that they did not like that were wrong. But Jessica's storyline, they felt like they hit the nail on the head Mm -hmm. of everything that she does, the fear that she has on coming forward, and then even what happens that they feel like is incredibly realistic and something Mm -hmm. that needs to be talked about. Absolutely. So the the last kind of storyline that we'll kind of walk through here and then we'll we'll, – kind of wrap up and talk about you know what, what can we do and what's conversations we need to have is is Tyler's rape and y- y- y'all having not seen this I'm probably least familiar with this aspect of the of the storyline y'all jump in and kind of talk about what happened here um okay so Tyler is the character if you remember from the previous episodes who made the new friend and they vandalized the baseball field and he ultimately is the one that does the school Attempted school shooting. And so um, Tyler's rape happens in between the time that he returns from school after being sent to basically a treatment center. Um, He returns to school and then he is raped and then he 
goes back, kind of reverts back to his old coping mechanisms by planning the school shooting. And so um, this is a male-on-male rape or sexual assault, which is not as common. Mm -hmm. Or people at least don't talk about it as being Mm -hmm. as common. Well, it's not on TV. It's not part of TV storylines as much either. Right. (laughs) It's just not as common. You don't see it as many places. But I think we talked about in episode one, the statistic they provided is that one in six men have been a victim of some kind of sexual assault or rape. And so it's much more common, but it's just much less talked about than women in sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And honestly, probably comes back to that power dynamic that we were talking about earlier. Um, if it's more accepted that men would have power over women and not necessarily as, ex- as accepted about men. And um, what, they talk, what they talked about and what I heard a lot of, of people were absolutely outraged at this scene. I mean, so upset that they would show this. And I saw, I think in Beyond the Reasons They Ask, I saw several articles that asked the question, why are we not that outraged with the two rape scenes we see in season one with females? Mm-hmm. No one had the same reaction when you see Jessica raped, when you see Hannah raped. Or when you see Chloe raped. Exactly. But when in Tyler is raped, People talk about how wrong it is and why are we putting this on TV? And I think you're right. It's because it's more culturally acceptable to see a female raped, mm-hmm. but it's not for a guy. And that's also not right. Mm-hmm. That That's something that obviously by the statistic happens all the time, but we're not willing to talk about it. Mm-hmm. We're not willing to show it. And I agree that you should be outraged, but we should also be outraged when it happens to females as well. And in the show, like the Beyond the Reasons, they talk about... You can't watch the scene, and it's very graphic. There's not much left to the imagination in that scene. Um, you can't watch the scene and not have a place for Tyler in your heart. And so they did that specifically because that then perpetrated his attempted at school shooting. Mm-hmm. They wanted you to kind of feel the backstory and feel what it was like for him in detail before you saw where he went to next. Right. And so... Um, I think it was just interesting to watch because before he is raped, he's come back to school and he's really trying to implement some of the things that he had learned while he was not. As far as like coping mechanism and how to relate to people that you don't get along with well. Mm-hmm. And what do you need to do if you're feeling stressed? And you see him trying out some of those different techniques before he's just actually in the boys' bathroom and he does not have any idea that they're coming. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, looking back over, I was looking back over this episode today. Um, And this is not a crime that is necessarily meant to be sexual in nature. And they even talk about that a lot of sexual assaults actually are crimes of violence. Mm -hmm. And this is absolutely what this is. Of this baseball player, there's a scene actually between him and Bryce where he goes to Bryce and says, Tyler's back. And this is a kid that ruined our entire baseball season and that told on you and that started all this stuff. Everything is your fault. This kid's fault. Exactly. And kind of tells Bryce like what are we going to do and Bryce actually says at this point he's on probation he's back at school he's but like, he says I can't leave me out of it don't talk to me again we're done and so you see Bryce even take a step back and say I'm not going to have any part of this which I think was a big moment for Bryce right. mm-hmm. and mostly also because he would get in trouble mm-hmm. but for him to kind of stand up to a friend and say don't even talk to me ever again and then this character in anger with two other guys goes and assaults him in a bathroom on school property. No one knows about it. 
which I find a little unrealistic that if this agree. is happening, that if no one would have walked public in. Bathroom stall. They mm. didn't make it seem like the school is empty. They made it seem like this was in the middle of the day or even towards the end of the day, but where people would have been around. Um, but take him in there, break a broom handle. Um, and it is, as Beth said, incredibly it's, graphic. It's graphic. Even scenes afterwards, graphic of watching him cope with the injuries and the pain that comes after this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, afterwards they show him go home and his mom comes in and was like, how was your first day back? And he was like, it was fine. You could mm-hmm. just see how he was starting to just shut down. Mm-hmm. But he, before that, he was having a decent relationship with his mom and he just couldn't process and wasn't willing to say, this is what happened to me. Mm-hmm. by some of the other guys. Mm-hmm. But if, in Tyler's case, for sure, it was more about revenge. It wasn't anything sexually motivated. It was just about power and violence. Right. It's interesting that um, the character who assaulted uh, Tyler was almost rejected a little bit by Bryce. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, I don't know if that's, I mean, I'm sure it's part of just the rage and the, you know, there's shame as well. <laughs> like like the, the, the ringleader said no you know right. this is not and and he chose to take that out all that rage and anger out. i think he was just looking if you want to use the term scapegoat he was just looking for a scapegoat like all the things that you have been doing and getting away with have been taken from you mm-hmm. you don't have the clubhouse anymore it's been cleaned out and put back into a storage shed and they've changed the locks and people are aware that it exists now because it's come up in the court case um, your baseball season is over because you have one guy who quits the team because he's done being a part of it. And then Bryce is off the team because he was just convicted of a rape charge. And so your baseball season is over. Like you don't have those things to fall back on. And so once those things are stripped away, then you have the rejection of the person that you thought was going to be around. And he's just looking for someone to kind of take the brunt of his frustration and anger. That mm-hmm. main, mainly that he just got caught, that they mm-hmm. all got caught. Right, right. So as we've, we've walked through these three big storylines, um, it's a big question, but, you know, what what do we do now? What do we, what are questions that we need to be asking ourselves as we, as we walk through this material? Uh, what's the important stuff here to you? Um, I think we touched a little bit when we talked about consent. Uh, a lot of different... If you read what is consent, if you just Google those kind of questions online, um, basically making sure that it's a really clear, resounding yes. Like when play was um, making out with Hannah and it started progressing, making sure that you kept getting a yes and at some point you got a no and so he stopped. And making sure not just that we know that that is what consent is, but that we're teaching our students and our youth starting at a very young age. Um, I have a child that will start middle school this year. And my husband teaches at an elementary school and we've had lots of experiences where he's like, don't think a fourth or fifth grader doesn't know because they do Mm -hmm. like they are exposed to that. But starting at a young age saying, this is what consent is. This is what it is not. If you don't hear a yes, or if you don't give a yes, that's not consent. Mm -hmm. And so um, having those conversations, which seem very odd and awkward at first um, are so important. Right, and so important, too, because it also shows if something happens, I'm a safe person that you can talk to. talk to. Mm-hmm. If you don't ever talk to a teenager about this, why, when something bad happens, would they come to you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's one of those things where it's easy to not talk about. Right. It's easy to think, not my child, not my son, not, not my, my daughter. daughter, not that student. She does well, but you never know what could happen, a mistake. Um, like I said, there are people that... Um, 
you would look at and never think that would happen to because they're hiding it. And so you have to be willing to go ask the questions. Um, also, coming from a Christian community, I think it's real easy to say um, no sex before marriage and we're going to leave it at that. But you still have to educate. You have to have a conversation. <laughs> you have to have a conversation beyond that of if something happens, what, what it looks do? like, what does rape look like, what does sexual assault look like, and not just if it happens to them, but going forward. If it happens your, to your friend. Exactly. Um, having these conversations, not just for them, but for others as well. Um, but we have to be willing to, like you said, come out and talk about it. Um, and it can be super uncomfortable. Maybe if you feel uncomfortable, maybe it's um, finding another trusted adult to go with you, um, to talk to you about it. Maybe it's a youth minister that you know they trust. Maybe it's a teacher or a counselor that you know that they have a rapport with, or even, um, an older sibling or an older friend, but they are going to get it from somewhere. Mm-hmm. It does not matter um, how <laughs> sheltered you think your child they is. Will they will learn it from somewhere. Almost everyone has um, Google on their phone um, or at school or somewhere where they can find answers. And so we would love for you as the adult to be the person that is providing them with that information, not whatever they find on the internet or Which from a friend. Which may or may not be accurate. <laughs> exactly. Or from a friend who has experience but not might not be positive experiences. And I encourage the listener to scroll back in our podcast feed and find the uh, episode uh, with Dr. Be- uh, Dr. Beth Robinson, where Carly and I talk mm-hmm. about how to talk to your teenager about sex, teen, se- teen sexuality. Uh, it's back in season two, I believe, but it's called Dr. Beth Robinson Talks Teen Sexuality. She's a great resource on, you know, how do you talk with your kids about sex and, you know, appropriate touch, all of those kinds of things. Uh, she's a fantastic resource on that. Mm-hmm. And that was a really great interview. I believe there's some links on that interview as well. So go back and check that out as well. I think that like the second component of that, that they show in Jessica's rape scenario, especially is as a parent, if you are the parent of someone who's a victim or someone you might suspect as being a victim. Um, I think overall, Jessica's parents did a really good job kind of walking through that process with her. Like if she was able to come home and say, this is what happened, even though she did not uh, identify her perpetrator right away. But they show kind of throughout season two that the assault happened in her bedroom in her bed. And so for a very, very long time, she is sleeping on the floor of her parents' room. Like she won't go into her room by herself. She's not, she doesn't go back to school for quite a period of time. And so, um, but be, as the parent in that situation, I feel like they do a good job of just trying to figure out like, what can I do here that's helpful? Like, most of us would probably be like, my high schooler's going to sleep on the floor of my bedroom for the next six months. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But like what is really helpful and what does that child need? And then finding the resources for that child so that when Jessica was ready to come forward, then her parents were there to walk through that with her. Right. Because they had given her enough space to process, but shown that she was there, which is only a balance that's not easy to achieve. Mm-hmm. So what are some questions we can ask teens um, as helpers? based on kind of coming out of this conversation. I mean, even asking, do you know of anyone who has been sexually assaulted? Mm. Have you heard of anything at school? Um, What would happen if you were in this situation? What would you do? Um, Asking questions like that and even just making statements of, if something happens, I want you to know I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. Um, If something happens with a friend, I want you to come talk to me about it. You need to tell an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, walking through those scenarios, um, but being willing, letting them know I'm not scared to talk about this. Right, right. I think there's also a place for a conversation about 
what the child or student in your life perceives as being like an acceptable behavior versus an unacceptable behavior, especially when it becomes about sex and sexuality. Like for your child, at what point would you even need to have consent? Like most people don't ask if they can share a kiss, but at what point do you need to have this permission? And at what point is it something that they are not comfortable with? Mm -hmm. And so having those conversations so that when they start talking one day about my friend, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. You already have a baseline for where they perceive that on the behavioral spectrum, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, even talking about, I think trusted friends is huge of if you go somewhere, make like letting them make sure you have a trusted friend that's y'all are going to watch each other's back where if you disappear, they're going to come look for you. Mm -hmm. It's not just, Oh, they're fine. And no one's looking for me, but, they disappeared. I haven't seen them in probably five minutes. I'm going to go looking for them and I'm going to make sure everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Or I know that they made a bad decision and they're not in the right state of mind. I'm going to take them home or mm-hmm. I'm going to call the mom. Um, kind of having those conversations of not just what are you doing, but how are you putting up boundaries to protect yourself? And also, how are you looking out for your friends? Right. And I also think, I mean, I had a friend when I was growing up and all through high school, the rule of her parents was, I will come get you. If you need me to come get you, I'll come get you wherever you are and I won't ask any questions. Mm-hmm. And um, she never was in a situation where she needed that. But as her friends, we all knew that that was kind of the rule. And I think in the back of our minds, it was always like, well, we could at least call them. Mm-hmm. And if I was worried about getting into a lot of trouble. or And so just establishing like some, it doesn't have to be that broad necessarily. But in our house, if you end up at a party that maybe you shouldn't have been in and things are going awry, or you end up in a situation where you just really need to get out, whether it's you're on a date and you just need somebody to come get you and bring you back home like what does that look like Mm -hmm. is that if you have that conversation beforehand then at least people know what the options are before they're in those situations Mm -hmm. it's about offering safety no questions asked if you feel unsafe if you feel like this is yeah yeah it's about establishing that like i'm a safe place and that doesn't mean there's going to be no consequences ever for anything that you do but if you need just to get out Mm -hmm. then i will i will do that for you absolutely right this is fantastic stuff. As we wrap, uh, Carly, would you tell us a little bit about our next episode and what to expect next week? Sure. So um, we are halfway through this series, a little over halfway. And next week, I think, is going to be one that you'll want to um, listen into as well. We're talking about relationships. So coming off this conversation, we're also going to talk about friendships and we're going to talk about some complicated relationships um, that happen romantic or um, platonic and how it was handled in the show and then how you can talk about relationships with your teenager. And so this is especially one that affects every single teenager. Mm -hmm. They're going to have relationships. And so um, we invite you to come back and um, we are going to have all of the resources that we listed today, as well as some of the ones from previous episodes. Um, If you want to find out more, you can go to teenlifepodcast.com and we'll have all those listed. That's also where you can subscribe. So subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss future episodes. And if you want to leave us a review, that's always great. And there's also a place there for comments. If you have questions or something um, you want us to talk about in the future, please let us know. Um, so thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.